Hey everyone, this is Chris Bent with the State of the Music Business Podcast where we bring executives and professionals from the business side of music. As most of you know, I bring a lot of artists on um, on our Chris and Sandy show. So I always like to, from time to time, bring on people from the business side of it to get kind of that perspective on where the industry is, where it's been, where it's going, where we just chat about the industry and as a whole. And with this whole coronavirus and everything, nobody really knows right now what's going to happen. So we're kind of in a limbo here, so I'd really like to bring people on now and during all this so we can kind of get an idea of where things are going. And today we got Cliff Doyle from the Cliff Doyle Agency and CDA, CDA Publicity. We've been friends for a while now, and he's kind of been a mentor of mine. Um, when, I, when I have issues, I reach out to him, and hopefully he can put out fires sometimes for me, and I'm sure there'll be other fires he'll have to put out for me, but he's been, I've had to lean on him a bunch of times. But Cliff, are you here? I am here, Chris. How are you today? <laughs> I'm doing good, and yourself? I'm doing well. I tell you, just just living the dream. <clears throat> and you've been in music for a long time, huh? I have been in music for a long time, Chris. I uh, I actually started. Uh, I well, I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, so they're they're, they're I'm showing my age. Um, <laughs> I was five. I was five and a half. And oh, wow. it literally, I remember looking at the television and thinking, I want to do that. And it oh, pretty wow. much was was my obsession uh, the rest of my childhood. And by the time I was around 11 or 12, I started dragging my mother's – actually, I was 10 because it was the year mm-hmm. that uh, Abbey Road came out, 1968 – I started dragging my mother's pots and pans into the bedroom and using carom cues, uh, the the sticks that you play. They're like a small pool cue. And I remember beating on every pot and pan that she had, serving as a particular <laughs> drum part, at playing along. And I literally learned how to play drums by listening to that album uh, by the Beatles. And oh, wow. um, so when I was 12... Uh, my father worked away on road construction and my my mother and us kids ran the, the farm. We had a 200 acre dairy and <coughs> cattle farm in, in Missouri. And um, my father worked away on road construction. My mother knew in her heart that I really wanted to be a musician. My dad, however, <coughs> he did not, excuse me. He did not want <coughs> me to be a musician. And bless my mother's heart, she sold a cow, told my dad the cow died, and bought me my first drum set. And so there's a country song in that, I think. (laughs) Could be. (laughs) And, uh, And then actually I started playing professionally that same year. So, yeah, I'm... I'm right at five decades in the career. The first half of my career, nearly nearly half of my career, was as a professional musician, uh, working in every kind of situation you can imagine, <clears throat> everywhere that I could play, and eventually, you know, became a side man, uh, for playing professionally in nightclubs when I was 12, 13, <laughs> oh, wow. and then... By the time I was in my early 20s, 
I had been a sideman for many, many years working with band leaders, and uh, Mm -hmm. I just saw too many times that um, all of the trappings that come with music, you know, the yeah. In the case of guys, it's it's the girls or it's the alcohol mm-hmm. or back in those days it was the drugs. It was there were too many distractions that I saw the band leaders getting trapped into, and so by the time I was in my early twenties, I I I became the guy that owned the van, owned the PA, owned the lights, booked the <laughs> shows, really became my own little cottage industry and ran my own bands. And then that ultimately, by accident, I, well, I didn't, I built a circuit of clubs uh, around the, the Midwest, Oklahoma, Missouri, Texas, Kansas, that I booked my band into. And then soon I began having a bunch of groups calling me, can you help us? Can you help <laughs> us? And then before long, I'm helping like 10 bands. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, one of those bands was a pre-stardom, Toby Keith. I actually was Toby's first agent. And then uh, I was in a band. uh, I had a band called Straight Shooter, and we broke up. And, uh, well, actually, it was, was, this was pre-Straight Shooter. This was my Gilbert band. And um, uh, we agreed to break up and finish our last two months of shows out. And those were the best shows that we did because, the pressure was off, but oh, that wow. night at the end of the at the the show, um, the, the lead singer Mike said, "You know, you ought to think about being a booking agent. You know, you're you're helping all mm-hmm. these other acts, and we're doing it anyway." I had never worked. I had never worked for a good booking agent. Uh, I had had several that I had had bad experiences with, and I remember saying, "What the hell would I want to do that for?" <laughs> Everybody would think I was a snake and a bad person and and oh, not God. truthful because that's the kind of people I had dealt with trying to yeah. find a booking agent. And not not that all booking agents are bad, but all that I had dealt with up to that point were yeah, not exactly. good. And so I literally woke up the next morning and I looked in the mirror and I thought, you know, maybe I – Maybe I should do this. Maybe there's a way to do it and do it with – if I'm going to do it, it's going to be with honor and integrity and transparency because I've been on the other end of this. I've been the performer and had the band and been on the road and traveled around America and you know uh, played in other countries. And um, I, I, know what they, I know what their lifestyle is. I'm, I'm one of mm-hmm. them, so – Mm-hmm. I'm going to do this and and do it right. So in 1984, I launched uh, the Clift Oil Agency, which was called Clift Oil Entertainment at that time, out of my bedroom in Norman, Oklahoma. <clears throat> and then fast forward um, to 1991. <clears throat> Excuse me. A little sinus problem here. Um <laughs> Fast forward to 1991, I had grown my agency uh, to where I was representing artists pretty much in every western state and all the southwest. (laughs) It was starting to branch out east, and uh, so I finally made the move. Uh, I visited Nashville several times in the mid-'80s, 
and late 80s, and I, I knew I'd eventually end up in either New York or L.A. or, or Nashville, and yeah. I'd been to L.A. I'd, I'd seen enough of New York to know I didn't really want to be there, and I, I just felt like Nashville was home, and at that time I was uh, working uh, uh, Doug Grau from Warner Brothers Records had reached out to me a couple years earlier, and told me we we've got a group a new group called little texas we're looking to branch them out into the southwest and we hear you're the guy and so that eventually led to and 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 some management clients i was working with and ready to shop that led me to make literally a almost an overnight move to nashville in 1991 And uh, next year, I'm 30 years in Nashville as a freestanding company. Wow! So there's a little there's a little thumbnail of the last uh, uh, quite a few years of my life career. So, so, so basically, you can say you've seen it all by this point. Well, I've seen a lot. <laughs> I'll put it that way. <laughs> yeah, there's. You kind of get to see uh, – now, I, I've been really blessed, Chris, um, mm-hmm. to be able to – I've always been a, a curious soul. Um, I wanted mm-hmm. to know how everything worked on stage, so I've literally mm-hmm. done almost every function there is to stage. I've been a stage manager. Uh, I've been a lighting tech. I've been a front of house sound man. I've been a monitor tech. Um, I've been um, uh, you know, a talent buyer uh, for you know buying and selling many major country artists back in the '90s and the 2000s uh, for clients around the country. Um, but I really early on wanted to know. By the time I was in my early 20s, I had. I'd been in some bad deals with bands where decisions were made that were out of my control and <laughs> made made without good legal ground to stand on and, and just common sense. So yeah. I really started educating myself about the business, knowing, just thirsty to learn everything I could about Mm-hmm. What is a manager? What I didn't realize at the time I was already a manager because I was managing my own groups, but I really learned what a manager does, what a publisher does, what a publicist does, you know, um, mm-hmm. what a record label does, and then all of the nuances involved with every one of those disciplines in different areas of our, our business. And so, Consequently, I have, you know, since I launched my booking agency in 1984, um, I have branched off into publicity. I launched a publicity company in 2006 officially, uh, but I also in the 90s ran a publishing company. I still have active publishing companies, and I admin and help my clients who don't have publishing deals. Um, uh, I've ran an independent record label for nearly a decade. Um, during most of the uh, of the 2000s, um, well, actually not that around starting around 2011 until mm-hmm. about 2017, I ran um, independent record label. 
And so, um, yeah, I've I, I've I've kind of looked at the business from all sides and and worn a lot of hats, and um, I, I've just always found that the more that I know about the business, the better that I can serve the clients that I represent. Uh, I yeah. don't. I don't want to be a one-man show when I'm representing a client, but if that's what mm-hmm. it takes for the client, like if I need to be their publicist, their 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 manager, their their mm-hmm. part-time booking agent, you know, whatever role I need to fill, uh, I can uh, I can adequately help them until we build a, a team. I mean, obviously. Mm-hmm. The artist is best served when you've got a, a strong, robust team from the creative Most side, definitely. from the business side. Uh, but I'll wear whatever hat I need to wear in the meantime. <laughs> and I've I've also produced records um, and uh, co-produced and uh, and ran camera on mm-hmm. videos. So I'm experienced in that side of the business as oh, well, wow. uh, and and had some success as a producer. We. Um, I co-produced a couple of top ten uh, records for the Texas Music Chart on one of our artists that was signed to our label, and then I've worked with some very notable producers, co-producing projects. I uh, worked with the great Julian Leonard, uh, I'm sorry, um, Julian King, uh, on a project. Um, so I've I've touched just about every area of the business, and uh, and yeah, I've. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot. <laughs> I don't know that I've seen and, everything, but I've certainly yeah, seen, a lot. seen a lot. <laughs> and, and, you know, you're talking about the whole team it takes because it does. The one thing I like to do on our show with artists when we bring them on the Chris and Sandy show, and apparently I guess a lot of people don't do this. To me, this just makes sense. Um, but I always let them take a couple minutes to tell us who their team is that helps them be who they are. I think that's one of the most important parts of their career is a team around them. And of course well, the that. artists love that. I love that part of your show because you know a lot of times uh you know we work behind the scenes and um you know we're our name's not on the marquee uh yeah. that the artist is and as as it should be but it, it does take a, a whole team of people and um my whole approach to working with artists, regardless of mm. what role I'm filling in their careers, yeah. I try to bring all of my skill sets to the table, and they can take whatever they want. And you know, but you know, You're like a tool belt. Yeah, my job though is to really amplify the vision of the artist. Um, mm. You know, I can steer and help them and, and advise them, and I'm always going to give them my gut level feeling about anything. Um, mm-hmm. I I work with artists that I'm very passionate and excited about, and if I'm not passionate and excited about them or believe that I can really move the needle and help them build their careers, then I'm not the right person for them. Uh, that doesn't mean yeah. they're not good or not yeah. worthy. It just means that I'm not a good fit. Um, so, but, but at the end of the day, my, my job is to help the artist achieve their vision and bringing my skill set to the table to help amplify that. And again, mm-hmm. we collaborate, you know, the, the best, the best uh, relationships between artist, manager, 
artist, producer, you know, whatever role you're filling in an artist's career, uh, they're always best when they're collaborative because everyone has great ideas they can bring to the table. But at the end of the day, the buck stops with the artist. And if, if, if we're not in agreement, then I'm going to err to the side of, of what they want, uh, which rarely happens. We're, we're almost (laughs) always, always on the same page because we, Mm -hmm. I I work with artists that we, we think alike. We're, we're on the same wavelength of how to approach something and then the artist will bring an idea. I'm like, man, I love that. And I'll go, how about if we add this to that thought? And they're they're like, mm-hmm. we love that. And so it's collaborative team efforts. And so it's great that you recognize the teams behind the artist because it does take a team. Um, and then that gives <coughs> the artist time to know that they're secure with people mm-hmm. who have their best interests at heart, that have their back. Yeah that aren't there just for a paycheck, but they really care about the artist. And um, then the artist can really focus on, uh, you know, they can keep their eye on the overall picture, but they can focus on creating the product, which is the art, Mm -hmm. the music, uh, or whatever artist, artistic expression they, they are uh, pursuing, uh, I do work with artists who do, who aren't musical performers, but are um, visual performers, um, or uh, you know, uh, particular fields of expertise like underwater modeling mm-hmm. and and things like that. I, I, I I'm blessed to have a, a pretty big roster, but musically, um, it, again, it just it gives the artist more time to focus on writing. Yeah and creating the music because at the end of the day that's that's what i'm here to help amplify to the world is is their their music and and their brand you know what's funny though is that um people would think that when i'm when i'm interviewing these artists that we've talked a little bit me and the artist because and it's all and 90 percent of the time it works out exactly the way i want it where i get them because there's a point in the way i'm doing this i I ask them about their – and they almost always, at the very end, the very last thing, add their mother and dad into that. That's, I, that's what I hope they do, of course, if their parents are behind them, of course. And so then when they ask about that, when they add that, when they get to the team part, then the family part, then I usually have them tell, – tell me a parent story with, where they went above and beyond on something, and you were like, wow – they really get that this is my passion. See, right. Once they say that, that's a lead-in for me to bring our eight-year-old in after that because it's a family thing. <laughs> well, and I think it, and ninety percent of time it does that. I think, uh, and for an artist to have the support of their family is so important. And, oh, yeah. and and truthfully, the most successful artists that I've ever worked with, almost without exception, had at least one or both parents who were major cheerleaders mm-hmm. who helped them through their career, who, you know, continue mm-hmm. to influence and inspire their career. And uh, I think it is so important uh, for the artist to have the support of, uh, again, either one or both parents. I think it's, it's a critical element to an artist's success because and you're it, so it's right. ground. 
it's grounded in them from from early life then you know from their their teens or their childhood you know this is the right path and it's reinforced um um by their parents because i always you know the my approach to parenting is i want my children to pursue their dreams what makes them happy and then i support yeah. them and yeah. and i've done that with my children neither one of my children are in music uh, but they uh, both uh, excel in their own fields, and then my stepchildren are the same way. They're all entrepreneurial, and they mm-hmm. all excel in their own fields, and I support them. And I think that, again, that family support is just so important. Yep. And we've noticed that as, you know, the more artists that we've interviewed, because, of course, you're now our 158th interview since wow. January 3rd, um, which is Congrats. really crazy. Funny thing was, we actually originally the, the originally the original plan was eighty to maybe a hundred interviews at the most the first year, but as soon as the virus, which we'll get here now, going as soon as the virus shut everything down, I told Sandy, you know what? Now's the time. Now's the time for us to shine. This is our time to reach out to people we normally probably wouldn't get on the show because of being a new show, and um, they might actually say yes. Because they need to talk, <laughs> and it worked. Exactly. Because you know, and again, you know, we just had Don McLean on. We've had Anna Christina Cash, Cassidy Pope, Carleen Carter. Now that was an interesting conversation, Carleen Carter. <laughs> I'll never forget I that. I bet. One. <laughs> I bet it was quite yeah, a musical dynasty it, she came from. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and you know, she told us how when she was growing up, you know, she didn't. They didn't do birthdays and all that cause, because with her family out out traveling, all she remembers being in the back seat on the road as a child. Right. <clears throat> so, so, of course, it was destined for her to go that route too. Um, but, yeah, um, but with the, when the virus happened and all that, we were like, you know what? This is our time to shine. This is our time to step it up. So because of that, <clears throat> our goal now for the year is 300 instead of 80 <laughs> interviews. And and we're on track to probably about three. If we stay on track like we've been, we'll probably end up doing three twenty, three thirty, somewhere in there. If it stays at the pace we're at. Um, but speaking of the virus, speaking of the industry, what are your thoughts right now of the industry as a whole of what everything is going through? I mean, that's an issue, huge issue. Well, for me, it was it was really strange, Chris, because right before the virus. Uh, the pandemic hit uh, mm-hmm. late last year. I started talking with my clients, uh, having conversations with the clients that I manage uh, and work closely with um, Hannah Bethel, Tim Rushrow, mm-hmm. several of my PR clients um, as well, saying something is, I'm not real sure what's going on, but the first quarter of this next year is not coming together things are fuzzy i can't mm-hmm. quite put my finger on it but i fe- i felt like almost like i lost a couple of very close friends last year and mm-hmm. i almost felt like someone close to me might be going to die because i just had a kind of a gloom and a doom mm-hmm. that i'm i'm not that way i'm i'm a very upbeat positive person but i would wake up in the morning with this yeah. kind of sense of gloom hanging over me and as soon as the pandemic hit 
all of that just melted away and then went, okay, this God was God was telling me, don't make all these big plans for, for 2020 because things are going to change. And, <clears throat> and, and, and the frustration went away. But like you, I had conversations with my clients and said, okay, folks, I don't know how long this is going to last. You don't know. None of us know. Our society doesn't know. But I do know this. You know, we have just came off of some banner years, like uh, Mm -hmm. Hannah Bethel was an example. I I love to work with with, uh, new artists, independent artists. And Hannah's not new by any means. She's, you know, was performing her whole life and been in Nashville. She's been in Nashville for, you know, 10 years at the time I met her nearly two years ago. But, you know, we had a banner year in 2019. Um, We were able to, you know, get her videos on CMT and uh, we were able to make a major inroads with, um, you know, all the media, not all the media outlets, but many large media outlets. And, you know, we had actually had built a lot of momentum. We had put together um, uh, a national tour for her. We had Mm -hmm. gotten her an endorsement with Gretsch Guitars. And so we had all of this momentum that we were, we had caught a, a song, which is her current single called The House is on Fire. We had released it in October. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were really in the process of crossing her over into the Americana world. And mm-hmm. I remember, you know, she left and went to Michigan, where she's from, to be with her, her parents and, and, uh, and, and, you know, quarantine. And uh, I, I called her that first week and said, you know, I'm still your manager. I, I still, mm-hmm. I'm still going to be here working every day on your behalf for everything that we can make happen for you during this pandemic. And so I want to continue with our weekly meetings by phone. I want to continue mm-hmm. to keep on a course to make a, a plan of action. And as it's turned out, uh, we have made an amazing amount of strides in the last since the pandemic's been going on since March. Mm-hmm. Uh, things have, you know, we've continued to keep her media exposure high. We've gotten several other, uh, you know, um, uh, guitar endorsements, and we've got a we just got a major one this week that I can't announce yet, but it's coming soon. <laughs> Um, cool. So now we have four guitar companies endorsing her, and uh, this now this was not something that we met, w- willed to happen, but but it was a nice mm-hmm. gift. She won the uh, international um, songwriting <coughs> competition for uh, Americana Song of the Year. Oh wow! So that was like icing on the cake, and we cut a, a video right before the pandemic. Diddy TV picked it up, CMT picked it up, you know, so 
in her case, uh, we have made you know, major strides during the pandemic. And then uh, with Tim, you know, Tim just won a, a Telly Award uh, hmm. for being part of the 80s, hats off to the 80s and 90s country uh, movement, which was uh, spearheaded by T. Graham Brown. And it was an internet show uh, that was sponsored by the 615 Hideaway and um, several um, uh, companies here in town, and um, it ended up just getting, you know, 100, I don't know how many views it's at now, but it's way up in the hundreds of thousands, uh, and, and actually was uh, nominated for and won a Telly Award just a couple weeks ago. That's like the highest award. You're, you're, you're ranked, um, it, it used to be just about television shows, but now mm-hmm. with the internet and, uh, being such a strong medium to present programs on, they've included the internet. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so, so Tim won a telly award. Uh, we've released, uh, um, um, and again, I, I, I can claim no credit for that other than, you know, he was part of a group of, of great artists from the eighties and the nineties uh, on this uh, live stream uh, and many of the artists that are on that program, uh, I have booked to work with in the past myself. And uh, so very proud of that. Tim released a, 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 we released a big band album uh, on him called Date Night right before the pandemic. And so, you know, we've continued to uh, promote that. And, um, you know, we're, Again, we're continuing to lay down as many plans as we can for 2021. Uh, mm-hmm. And um, that's going to so be a big year, I think. Yeah, I, I think so. And 21 is my lucky number. That 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 number has always been associated with very major events in my life. Some of them have not been great, uh, yeah. but major events always happen in 21. And so I think 21 is. It's going to be a, a year when we see things start to come back. Um, mm-hmm. I've got some mixed feelings about how that's going to happen, and I certainly don't have all the answers. But I think like yeah. you, uh, when things are in chaos, uh, therein lies opportunities. And yeah. you can't um, just stop and throw your hands up because <laughs> – some someone else is going to be working and um i have been able to take a little more time to you know work on my house with my wife and and take care of some personal things that you know had been neglected and work that needed to be done because i I tend to work a lot on my business and um so you know i've done that but i've also stayed focused with my artists on their careers and how we move that forward and what the new model looks like. And so, mm-hmm. you know, we've been active with live streams. We've been active, you know, as much as possible with, with live streams. We've been uh, proactive with, with media coverage and continuing to do interviews and, you know, keep things teed up so we don't lose momentum and we keep yeah. their faces out in front of the public and and that's paid really really great dividends uh, for for the artists and consequently for for me and my career because we're all in this together. Now the downside is nobody's making any money right now. 
yeah. as far as the, big the smaller le- the smaller level artists are making small amounts of money from their live streams and from their merch sales and the venues uh, are losing but 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 the uh I'm sorry and the venues are big time losing. Oh, the venue the venues have taken a major hit. We were at a venue in Bowling Green, Kentucky yesterday with Hannah and uh shooting some um, again working with a media outlet to shoot some extended interviews to go along with some live performances that she had done for them recently. And the venue we were at is a very famous venue called Tid Balls. It's been uh, a lot of famous groups have kind of launched there. Cage the Elephant launched from there, and it's kind oh, wow. of a breeding ground for more indie rock and alternative country acts, and uh, mm-hmm. they love Hannah there. That's one of her favorite places. So we, we wanted to do the interview there, and then she did a live stream there. And, you know, the, the end of, so, you know, I think making money from live streams, making money from merchandise, I think the artists that are approaching it, aggressively and smartly and uh, and with a plan are are keeping their exposure up they're they're trying to monetize their 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 merchandise and their brand as much as possible um but it's it's still not enough and yeah. as as we move into 21 if the if covid you know if they are able to get this under control uh and 21 does bounce back uh, mm-hmm. You know the all of the major, you know the AEGs and the Live Nations of the world. The major artists have lost their touring revenues, mm-hmm. but if they're selling records or or downloads or you know mm-hmm. a certain you know number of streams, they are still making money, and of course their merchandise is is still popular. So, you know they're probably. I'm not saying they're impacted the least, but they're. they're yeah. I, I think the uh, I think the smaller independent artists, which is, I mean, I've worked with many many major artists and worked with many many artists that have gone on from being independent to being um, well known famous artists. I, I think the smaller artists are suffering the hardest now, but I think mm. they're probably, depending on how the club situation goes maybe some of the first to be able to make a comeback as far as being able yeah. to tour because they're dealing with smaller venues. They're, they're dealing with, uh, you know, so, you know, I don't have all the answers. I do know this. I know that the way that music is delivered and the way the entertainment in general is delivered is going to change. And we've watched that yeah. through the evolution of even how entertainment programs are presented on the on television, like award shows now, where everybody's virtual and they're in their own house, but yet they've got a camera crew there. They're playing. One person's playing the piano. The other person's doing the bass part. That's the cool when they are, do that. It's and you know that that kind of technology was available, but it had never been truly harnessed to the level that it has since the pandemic. And so even from the way that music is presented to us visually through the television and the internet will be forever altered because Mm -hmm. if you've got a group, you know, that's a, 
you know, pick a pick a group, little big town or whoever. If they're in different parts of the world or different parts of the country, now they can literally get together. They can do a performance. They can do a recording. They can make an album and never be in the same room together. And, of course, again, that technology has been available for many, many years. Um, Tony Brown used that uh, technology with George Strait to where, you know, they would basically patch him in from his location in Texas, and he had a – um, a way to record his vocals where he didn't come to Nashville. It was all done, oh, wow. you know, electronically. Um, That's I don't know the whole story. I don't know the story, but yeah, a, a lot of this technology has been there. Zoom has been there for a while, um, and, but but it's been harnessed in such a way now to where entertainment can be presented in a completely different way. And I look for that to continue to grow. I look for the socially distanced drive-in shows uh, like, uh, and it's funny because actually that was an idea that I had thought about back in the nineties is recording an artist's performance and then showing that in theaters or at Mm drive-ins to where someone could experience, let's say a a Garth Brooks or a Pink Floyd, if they couldn't actually see them in concert. Um, And so it's, I think there's going to be more of those kinds of socially distant uh, events mm-hmm. uh, or, uh, again, events where an artist is set up in a in a drive-in situation where they're playing to a smaller number of people. The problem because we had that we, going on in Buford for that, that where we had several yeah. artists coming in uh, in Buford County over here in South Carolina, and they did – and I think um, – Preston and Taylor, I think they are recently did because we interviewed mm-hmm. them, so it's like pretty cool to know that they were doing. But they did that where they came over to Buford County at that theater set up and had cars drive up and did a whole car actual concert. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing, you know. It's it's becoming more and more. I noticed that uh, Farewell Angelina, who are friends of mine, um, I know mm-hmm. Nicole Witt in that group. She's friends with with Hannah and they co-wrote Rhinestone Rodeo uh, together. Hannah's last single before the current one. Uh, I noticed they did a, uh, a drive-in show in uh, McKinney, mm-hmm. Texas, but we've got a town nearby here, Watertown, where uh, Brad Paisley did one to thank all of the healthcare workers and frontline workers. I, I think those kinds of events are going to fill in some gaps. And then of course you've got some States like uh, Wisconsin like mm-hmm. right now, it's it's pretty much wide open. Um, Hannah was there last weekend for a live performance, uh, mm-hmm. and um, you know it's it's a pretty much a wide open state. So there are certain parts of the country uh, where you know there are still live shows going on, but it's just yeah. again, it's I think it's um, I think it's still pretty risky out there. I know I've taken every yeah. precaution I can. Uh, for the last, you know, March, April, May, June, July, going into you know, five months here of, uh, you know, being largely quarantined, going out to the store, going out to get gas, you know, taking uh, a few meetings in the last few weeks uh, with clients. Uh, but, you know, I'm being very, very cautious uh, about this virus, and I think everybody yeah. should take it very seriously because it's real. Because when we're around people, uh, we wear the masks 
But when we're out and about and there's nobody around, of course, if I'm outside, I don't see if there's nobody around. Yeah, I'm the same way. But if, uh, I'm I'm the same way. But if I'm if I'm at the store or with people, yeah, yeah, um, you exactly. know, then then I then I wear one and and I hope they wear one too. Um, and again, there's there's a lot of controversy around uh, masks. But you know, I now. I'm sorry. Because stores scare me now because there's so many people compact in there and I'm sitting there like, oh my god, yeah. I got to go in there. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I understand that completely because um, I, I I feel that sometimes as well. Although they've been pretty good in my immediate area here, mm-hmm. but you know, as far as what the industry looks like beyond here, I yeah. think there's again some of the things we've touched on uh, will come uh, sharper into focus. But I think there's probably things we're not even thinking about yet that are going yeah, that to have sense. to happen to get us through this. And I, I think one of the very important things for everybody out there in music land to remember is that local club down the street or in the next town over, or, you know, that local theater that supports uh, arts and entertainment, uh, those people mm-hmm. are hurting really badly. Yep. And there's, um, there's uh, there's several petitions circulating now to uh, you know implore Congress to allocate more money to save the venues. I know that's a hashtag that's going around. Save save the venues. Save an our issue venues. That's huge. Well, it is, and I had the chance to speak with uh, Brian Jarvis at Tidballs yesterday, and you know he's got a fairly small venue. Uh, mm-hmm. They had a short period of time when they could reopen for just a couple weeks recently, but still mm-hmm. had to be very, you know, uh, conservative on the amount of people they could let in. And then, and then the state of Kentucky kind of clamped back down. And uh, you know, he's he's uh, he's struggling. Um, you know, venues here in Nashville. You know, I'm I'm reading dire predictions like a lot of the music venues. Um, I know you're reading those same things, like a lot mm-hmm. of the small, you know, uh, mom and pop. Um, and of course, there's some of the venues downtown are not mom and pop; they're owned by yeah. corporations, and an artist has their name on them, or the artist owns them. And I, I think they're probably going to fare better than the smaller mom mm-hmm. and pop shops, which are. They're going to close. If, so I would encourage everybody listening to, I don't care if you're a musician or music lover, uh, support the venues, support the artists, uh, support when an artist is on doing a live stream, drop some tips into their Venmo or their PayPal. Uh, if you can sign up and donate uh, or sign a petition to put in front of Congress to help uh, the live music venues in America to survive during this pandemic because, you know, we've already lost, you know, one of our uh, really most legendary clubs here in Nashville, um, Douglas Corner closed recently um, after, you know, 30 years in, in business. And literally that was one of the first places I went to, when I moved to Nashville and, and many of my artists played that room over the years, um, including Hannah, she was one of the last artists to play the room on March 11 before it closed. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really heartbreaking to see 
the venues that you've known and loved just forced to close because they can't they can't make it you know with an empty yeah. building that they can't put people in or if they can put people in it's such a small capacity that they can't make <laughs> money and you know that is causing a lot of unrest and and uh, a lot of bad blood on all sides mm-hmm. of uh, you know what's yep. the right thing to do well we should reopen well, if we reopen, then more people get sick, and so you then you it, it gets people you know <laughs> kind no of win. battling each other. There's there's no there's no win here. You know the only way we win this is if there is some kind of solution for the virus, and I I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if that's a vaccine. I don't know if that's an inhalable. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. a combination of all of those things plus some of the medications that are out there already that are being tested. I don't know if it's a combination of lifestyle and eating and holistic. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it, it can be anything. I, I don't personally yeah. have an agenda or care where the the cure or the minimization for this, the, the, for this virus goes, but yeah. I, I pray that it, it happens. We need something. Soon. Yeah. Cause, cause one thing that a lot of people are not understanding too, with all this, is you know the bigger artists like you said although they ain't got a, some got a big cushion so they're like you said they'll be less hurt but with the smaller artists they're usually playing at the independent venues so if the independent venues go under then they don't have a place to play that's the problem yeah that that's the biggest problem we're facing right now is when when it does come back where is going to be left for the artist to play? Because again, mm-hmm. I, I, you know, part of what I do still, um, even though it's my least favorite part of the business, I do a limited amount of booking for um, mm-hmm. the artists that I work with. Um, I, I really don't. I, I was a full-time agent for over 20 years for other bands, and another 10 for my own. So uh, it's my least favorite part of the business, but because of that booking connection, I'm I'm still very tied to not only the independent venues, but the larger talent buyers out there. And I watch what they're mm-hmm. saying and I talk to them directly. Yeah. And, you know, we have so many smaller and mid-sized venues and theaters that are literally on the verge of collapse if they can't get some help to sustain yeah. them through this because if you open up a hundred seat venue and you can only put 25 people in that, you're not making <laughs> yeah. enough money to pay your in staff. Fact, you're, losing you're, money. you're, you're, yeah, you're not, you're not making money to pay your staff, your, your bartenders, your waitresses, your, you know, your accountant, your lease holder, your, whatever it might be, you know, you're not mm-hmm. making enough money to sustain you're actually losing money, as you said, and I, I think we're going to start seeing more. Um, I think we're going to start seeing smaller guarantees to mm-hmm. even major artists. I think we're going to see a lot more partnering where the artist mm-hmm. and the promoter are more um, invested together. I think we're going to see smaller guarantees for the independent artists, more back-end deals where 
okay, we'll bring you in, we'll give you a smaller guarantee, and then we'll give mm-hmm. you X percentage on the back end if we sell a sense. certain number of tickets. I think we're going to see – those have always been around. I think we're going to see more and more of those because, uh, you know, it's just – it's going to be harder and harder. You know, in the past, venues had – they had a cushion to draw from. You know, if they've been in yeah. business for a while, they've got a cushion to draw from. So if artist A didn't draw well – uh, and they maybe lost a little money or a lot of money. Uh, artist B mm-hmm. is going to help, you know, make up the difference. And so by the time it's all averaged together, you know, they're able to survive where, you know, moving forward, uh, every show is going to have to be profitable or they're not, or they're yeah. not going to be able to stay in business. It, 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 if, now, they I, this, if they make yeah. it through this, if they make it through this pandemic. One of my hopes is that any of the iconic um, places if they do go under that before they sell out to just anybody to sell out to like some major artist or some major company within music so that it can stay music well that will depend on you know what the market dictates you know real estate <laughs> is a whole nother subject um, <laughs> yeah. you know but, I, but, but like you you know I, I see venues like uh, the Troubadour in LA for example uh, you know, I, I know they're they're really struggling, and you know we're talking about a venue that launched the careers of Elton John and you know so many artists. Uh, you know, the Eagles and Linda Ronstadt all played there. All of the you know Laurel Canyon uh, uh, mm-hmm. artists from the '60s. You know, that was the Troubadour was the place to be, the place to play. Yeah, uh, they're struggling. You know, places like. Uh, in Nashville, you know, uh, the exit in, um, mm-hmm. you know, other, other venues out here, just in my, my hometown of Nashville, you know, there's, there's some historic venues that have already gone, gone and I, I'm afraid there's going to be more. And, uh, so that is the uncertainty. Yeah. Here's what I do know though, Chris, mm-hmm. music will survive somehow, some way. Because there has always been music, and you can go all the way back to the log drums of Africa and move forward to the traveling minstrels and bards mm-hmm. of uh, of the even Middle in the Ages. Bible days. Even in the Bible days, I mean, music has been an intrinsic part of human experience from the dawn of time. You know, as long the first time mm-hmm. that man could pick up a stick and 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 pound <laughs> on a log or a rock oh, and pound on a log. Yeah, it, it, they have made a sound and made music uh, and, and, and vocalized with that. So music will survive. It's just a question mm-hmm. of how it's look going like. to be. What is it going to look like? Uh, here's, here's one thing that I am seeing. I'm seeing artists mm-hmm. that are taking this time to really dig down and evaluate what their what the meaning of their life is, what they really are most passionate about, and those mm-hmm. feelings are coming out. So I almost feel like from a music standpoint, we're going to come out of the other side of this, I think in a musical it's renaissance, where I think the music is going to be better it's going to be less mm-hmm. dictated by the business and the powers that be uh, because mm-hmm. the, the artists are continuing to make music and they're, they're recording it in their bedroom. You know, they're, 
They're yeah. taking whatever steps necessary to continue to create. And, you know, the, the people who are truly passionate about music um, and, 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 are, and have this as a, a life calling, they're, they're continuing to, to make music and move forward and lay mm-hmm. plans in place. For the future, you know, everyone is concerned, uh, but everyone there's a there's a feeling of optimism, and you know, music is a yeah. great healer, and and yep. I'm so proud the way that the global music community has risen to the challenge to provide us, you know, just endless numbers of specials for us to enjoy on television, where you get Elton John or you get mm-hmm. him and her and you know, um, Lady Gaga and and uh, all, just on down the line, a great country artist, you know, that have come forward with uh, messages of hope and unity. Yeah. You know, again, music is a great healer. It's a great unifier. And, uh, and it's also a statement, a social statement of the times. I think we're going to see music come out of this. It's going to be a reflection of the time that we're living in, much like it was in the 60s. You know, things were very turbulent and uncertain. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there was a lot of division in the country. And artists were writing about that and writing to that subject. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I see that happening in the artistic community as well as, uh, you know, um, Eric Church is a really good example, you know, put put that in your country song, you know, where he's talking about, you know, it's country music, just, you know, music in general is fun and inspiring and uplifting, but it's also about the music of the common man and whether mm-hmm. that's Americana or country or rap or or pop or whatever Mm -hmm. i mean you look at some of the music that has stood the test of time it's music that spoke to the times and spoke about the times and and of course then you've got the fun songs that are always there that are always chestnuts but then you've Mm -hmm. got you know classic songs that could have been written yesterday you know like the song Mm -hmm. for what it's worth by buffalo springfield you know Mm -hmm. There's something happening here. What it is ain't exactly clear. There's a man with a gun over there uh, telling me I got to beware. You know, it's, to me, that song, and, and there's another line in that song that I love, is like, nobody's right if everybody's wrong. And I think that song could literally have been written today. Uh, I, I look at Marvin Gaye's song, What's, Go- What's Going On? Uh, again, that song was written uh, by Marvin and uh, and released, and uh, you know it was a major uh, spoke to the socioeconomic conditions of um, people in America, um, and spoke to the to uh, Black uh, Americans. And again, that song could have been written today. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, many of the great, great songs that spoke to the condition of society, uh, no matter what side of the, of the, um, you know, uh, political process or political yeah. uh, aisle you, you stand on. There are songs that have been written 
throughout, you know, going back to Woody Guthrie, uh, you know, that spoke to the plight of the common man, that spoke to the plight Mm -hmm. of what it's like in the world. And I I think we're going to see... Why people love um, Johnny Cash. Exactly. Johnny Cash spoke to the moment, and he wasn't afraid to speak to the moment, even if it meant putting his career in harm's way, which he did many times, and he bucked the system because he wanted <laughs> yeah, he to put his he wanted to put his expression out there. He supported Native American causes. Did an entire album. The record label, you know, did not want to put it out. You know, the record label did not support him doing Live from Folsom Prison. They thought that mm-hmm. was going to be too controversial. Well, as it turns out, that was <laughs> a watershed moment in Cash's career. And again, it's. It comes back down to the artist's vision. The minute mm-hmm. you start trying to suppress the artist's vision, then it becomes manufactured and not real. That's true. If the artist has a vision, then you need to trust it. And and you, you need to, if you're on their team, then you need to support that artist's vision. And anybody that's on the team that doesn't support the artist's vision is the wrong person filling that slot. Most definitely. And I think another thing, too, that this is causing, it's making people think, is this really what they want? Because I've seen a lot of people talking about they're probably going back to regular jobs and all that, and, and not necessarily regular jobs as in saying that they got to support themselves. That's not what they're saying. They're saying it, it's probably over for them. I'm thinking that this is going to level the playing field. Cause as you know, there are thousands and thousands and thousands of country, especially in the country genre, that are all competing against each other because again, that with social media is you know make, made that where anybody can become noticed. And now, of course, with the virus and all that, people have to change plans, change this, and they really have to dig deep and ask, okay, am I meant to do this, or was this just a fun time in my life? Well, and I I think it comes back down to, is this truly your calling? And for me, as a, as a creative person first and a business person second in the course, in the course of my career, uh, I was called to do what I do. And I believe that Mm -hmm. very firmly. I've always known it. I've, 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 I've been at the top of the mountain and I've been all the way down (laughs) below the basement. I mean, I've been, the roller coaster of my career has been epic, and I wouldn't mm. trade a moment of it. But, you know, I've, I've just had a saying that I've lived by, and mm. that is I wake up every day on fire thinking this could be the day that changes the rest of my life. Hey, Amen. I love that because, you know, as we're growing our show, that's how we are every day. It's, and I tried to leave the music industry for a few years and all that, and we shut everything down. And and I guess like they say, when, when it's in you, it's in you. There is no leaving the industry. And it was like we had no choice to come back. And and here it is. We're growing this. And every day I'm like, okay, this could be the interview that as a host who's, who's um, kind of props up people like a Bobby Bones and a Ty Bentley. In fact, Ty Bentley has chatted with me back and forth a little bit on Twitter some, and I've reached out to him on a few things, and we even interviewed his wife, which is pretty cool, Corey. Um, but I look up to Ty and Bobby and what they've done, and we're trying to create a show to where 
we kind of go into that category one day. So every day we know this could be the interview. This could be the interview. <laughs> well, that's the deal. You know, you never, you never know. So, you know, I think, I think no matter what you, and believe me, um, until 1980, mm-hmm. so from, from, uh, from the early seventies, uh, until 1980, for the first decade of my career, I did every kind of side job to support my music <laughs> habits that you can imagine. I've been a carpenter. I've been a carpet cleaner. I've built do door highways. Dash, yeah, I've built highways and roads and uh, and uh, worked on projects mm-hmm. with my father who was in construction. Uh, I've uh, sealed parking lots. I've painted. I've I've literally done almost everything you can imagine to stay in music. But in 1980, yeah. I turned a corner 40 years ago to where I just made a decision that moving forward, I am going to make my living strictly from music regardless. And I've <laughs> had to reinvent myself quite a few times oh, yeah. in order to stay in the business but you know i'm blessed now to be this is my 40th anniversary of uh, until this pandemic um i've literally you know 100% of my income coming from the music business and um so i've been extremely blessed but it's hard work and you got to want it i tell artists i tell other business people my strongest advice to you is if you don't wake up every day and the first thing that crosses your mind is what can I do today to move my career forward? And I don't care if at the end of the day, you've taken two steps back, you you yeah. approached it with the idea that you want to move forward. And I think the most successful artists have to do it. it yeah. It's, it's not a choice. It's a calling. They have to do it. It's in them to be creative and be expressive, and that's what they're going to do, and they're going to do it whether they're making money doing it, which I've been mm-hmm. on that end of the coin too, or, or they're going to make it or they're, you know, they're going to make money while they're doing it, but they're going to make music and create and write and, um, and, uh, and create inspirational music yeah. regardless. And, and exactly. they may be they may be working three side jobs to do it. And moving forward, I think there's going to be more and more artists that are going to have to have uh, side jobs um, mm-hmm. in order to to stay, to stay in uh, in business. Um, but I, I just think that that's kind of where we're at here. Um, I think everybody's going to have to everybody's going to have to just be ad- adaptable. Uh, you know, myself yeah. included. I mean, I. I've been blessed for 40 years to make my living strictly from music, but mm-hmm. if, if I've got to make a turn and do it some other way while I yeah, keep my career burning, then I'll, I'm not too good to, to work uh, <laughs> doing anything. You know, I can landscape. I've, uh, God, God gave me a, you know, a good strong back and a, I grew up on a farm. So, you know, there's no, uh, I don't think it's any harder work than, than that, you know, uh, I mean, there's we, a lot do, of hard we deliver food at night. Well, there you go. You know, I mean, and that, you that, deliver food that's at that's night. That's our main income. 
Well, you deliver food at night to support your habit, which is your dream that yep. you're building with your show. And I, I lived that for for many years of my life. And again, I've just been I've been very blessed. But you know, for me, I think uh, it just comes back down to what I said earlier. I think I think. And I'm not. I'm not saying that everybody that wants a career in music gets a career in music. It just. Yeah. I've known many, many, many extremely talented people who, for one reason or another, just simply could not break through enough to make it financially yeah. feasible to stay in the music business. I've known business people the same way. Uh, I am very proud of the fact that I'm 30 years in a music town as an independent contractor when just about everybody that I knew from back when I came who were independents are mostly gone. They've either, you know, moved on and joined bigger companies um, or they're out of business and some of them have retired. But, you know, for me, it's like, um, I set out on a mission and wow. I mean, I, I have lived, I have, I've lived my life on my terms, pursuing my dream and been able to impact and help, uh, many artists, uh, with their dreams. And, you know, I've, I, again, I'm, I, I tell people sometimes mm-hmm. I, I'm literally the luckiest man in the world. <laughs> And you are with, you know, being able to live that dream out. And that's amazing. And love the conversation we had today. So as we end this here, if you want to tell everybody, if they need you, how they can reach out to you. Well, um, I went through some changes um, last year, kind of dismantling some of the infrastructure that I built around with a previous partner with uh, some different companies. And uh, so some of my websites are now in redevelopment. Um, (laughs) Place to get information on me, Cliff Doyle, is if you just search, Google search Cliff, C-L-I-F-D-O-Y-A-L, and that will pull up my LinkedIn account. And that's pretty much got most everything I've done in my career from the publicity side, from the management side to the booking side, to the, um, I've also worked for digital delivery music companies um, and, and uh, some of the publishing um, work that I've done. So really, LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me. Um, you know, e- email, um, you know, I, I, well, I, as far as like social media, I'm on social media as Cliff Doyle, C-L-I-F-D-O-Y-A-L. Uh, I'm on Facebook. Um um, I also have a, a business page called CDA World, which is a CDA underscore world. And that mm-hmm. is kind of a, uh, a multi-purpose site where I, you know, promote uh, the management and the publicity side of my company. So CDA World is the business page. Cliff Doyle is my personal page. Uh, then I'm also on uh, Twitter as CDA World, uh, Instagram as Cliff Doyle, C-L-I-F-D-L-Y-A-L. Uh, so there's numerous ways to connect with me. And again, if you want to just learn about my career or, you know, dig deeper into what I've done, um, 
LinkedIn is probably uh, the best resource out there. And you know what? We loved, loved having you on today. Enjoyed the conversation because I always like to get to know people and definitely got your story out. I love that. <laughs> well, I, hey, I, Chris, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to get on here. I've, uh, I've been watching you grow your brand for well, over a year now. And, uh, now, you gave me a compliment at the beginning of your, your career, your, your conversation here, and I appreciate that very much. I, you know, I, I support what you're doing, and I know how hard it is to do what you're doing. I'll continue. <laughs> wish to, you know, you great continued success for you and Sandy and uh, what you're growing. And uh, I appreciate the opportunity to get on here and tell my story because I'm usually on the other end. Uh, I'm helping <laughs> someone else tell their story. I don't get to tell mine very often, so I appreciate you giving me an opportunity uh, to tell a little bit, uh, to tell people a little bit about my, about my story. And that's why we created the State of the Music Business podcast is to kind of to be part tell their story, but part also what's going on in the music because it started before Corona, um, and we had like Jeff. Kelly was our very first um, interview. Joe, he did Joe really Kelly, awesome. that was a great interview. Yeah, yeah, Joe Kelly, loved it, loved it. He was really awesome. And Joe's I was glad, an old friend so of happy mine. that he gave me a compliment there of being the first, because you know when you're on a first brand new podcast, you don't know what the guest, is, what the host is going to ask. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, being the uh, being the first, I could have really screwed everything up, but thank God I didn't. And, and yeah. you know. It, and, you know, hopefully one day we can make State of the Music Business become a yearly conference. That's the ultimate goal with this whole idea. Well, that would be really a great thing because, again, it's, uh, you know, the state of the music industry is just an ongoing influx uh, subject. And uh, the more people that, you know, you have available that, that artists can learn from, other people in the business can learn from, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's great. So, uh, you know, I wish you great luck with it. Well, thanks. And thank you for your time. And we kind of went over the 60 minutes, but I really enjoyed it. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Chris. And you have a great day. Give my best to Sandy. And we'll look forward to talking with you soon. All right. Sounds good. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Take care. You too.